Welcome to the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future. I'm Marcus, Marketing Manager at Dust Network, and today we have a special episode for you. Because instead of a guest on a podcast, we are checking in with our resident host and head of business development, Ryan King, about the latest news on the MICA regulations. Welcome to your own show. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be back here on my own show. <laughs> the people that follow us for, for quite a while, they have hopefully read uh, your publication on, on MICA, which was a, a five-part series on the ins and outs uh, to understand MICA regulations. And yeah. over the past few months, we've had a couple of Twitter spaces. We had a couple of uh, interviews. We had a lot of podcast guests that talked about MICA regulations. And now there is some new movement on the MICA front, and we will be discussing that today with you. So Ryan, can you give us a quick update on where things stand with MICA after the 20th of April? Yeah, absolutely. So what's happened is that MICA, which is the Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation, it's a piece of EU-wide legislation um, that's been on the table for a while, has passed the European Parliament. So what does that mean? So in the European Union, uh, legislation works a little bit differently to how it works in a place like the United States, which I think a lot of listeners may be more familiar with. So legislation is created not in the, the parliament, but rather in the executive, the European Commission. So they, they, they write it, they, uh, they create drafts, they check the language, and then they come up with the final form, and then they pass it to the legislature to get approved. So first it goes to the European Parliament, and then it goes to the Council of the European Union. It's a two-part process, much like in many countries, there are two, two houses of legislature that it has to go through. So what this means is that it's passed the first test, if you will, the first uh, vote. It passed quite comfortably. Now it goes to the second test, which is a council of the EU. Um, it's a little bit more complicated. So in the European Parliament, a piece of legislation only has to pass with a simple majority. In the council of the EU, it has to pass uh, with a 55% vote. But the people voting for it have to represent 65% of all the citizens in the EU because the Council of the EU is made up of the leaders of the individual member states. So obviously the president of France speaks for a lot more people than, say, the president of Latvia. So they're, they're, it's called a double majority. These two numbers both have to be met. But I will add on this, this one point, which is that this is probably much more of a formality. The reason why I went into a little bit of background at the beginning is because the legislation is written by the European Commission, when they put it together, they talk to all the nations, the interest groups, the stakeholders, all the different industrial organizations, everybody that it will affect to get their input and get their suggestions for what the wording looks like, which means that when it gets to the vote stage, it's usually all the kinks have been ironed out, all the disagreements have been settled, and it's really more of a formality. So what we would expect to see is that when this comes to the Council of the EU for a vote, which will probably be sometime in the next month, that this will pass, it will then get printed in the EU's journal, at which point we can consider it to be law. Thank you for the, for the nice explanation. How, how confident are you that uh, we will reach this, uh, this threshold in the, in the second voting round? 
very confident. Um, as mentioned, they, they talk with the stakeholders, with the member states, with everybody involved. There were a lot of disagreements along the way. This is why we've been talking about it for a long time. When I was writing the MICA series, I think it was about a year ago now, uh, even back then, there were still some disagreements on, especially with the interaction between MICA and things like uh, uh, things like the travel regulation and things like that. But most of this stuff has now been ironed out. Most of it has been cleared up. Uh, I'm very, very, very confident that it will pass. Awesome. Assuming that it will pass, what do you think it will mean for the the, the, the creator crypto and, and blockchain industry in the in the EU? Well, this is where we move away, I suppose, from facts, uh, boring facts, if you like, and start moving into the era of speculation. I think one of the first things it does is it adds a degree of what we might say legitimacy to the blockchain industry that I think we can all agree it's been 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 lacking. So no longer will we be in a situation where people will be able to talk about cryptocurrencies and use phrases like unregulated assets, unregulated coins, because that simply won't be the case. In fact, they'll be highly regulated. Uh, customers, individual customers will start to get rights when purchasing cryptocurrencies and other products, similar to how they have with any other item that they buy online, things like the right of return within 28 days, um, they get the the confidence and the security that this this product is is fully regulated, is covered by laws. Financial organizations, on the other hand, they we we believe they are very interested in experimenting with DLT technology. They're very interested in trying out crypto backed assets and things like that. But at the moment, there's a lot of legal uncertainty. These organizations don't want to create a product. And then a law is passed in a year and it turns out, oh, actually, they have to shut this product down because it doesn't fit the regulation. So with these things being clear, these organizations now have a chance to actually start experimenting with this technology, to actually start issuing these assets. Um, and I think that's 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 a great thing. Now, it would be a little disingenuous of me to say that every single thing, every single consequence from MICA is going to be positive. It is true that many of the clauses in MICA require things from organizations like large capital reserves, documentation, an awful lot of, of legal paperwork and legal checks have to be done, things that are very expensive and very costly to maintain. This means that some smaller entities are going to struggle to be able to continue to do business and to exist under these regulations. Certainly the advantage shifts in favor of larger organizations that have larger assets and more resources to call on. So this obviously calls into question how that will affect an industry which has been fiercely independent and fiercely innovative and largely driven by uh, coders, by hackers and by small organizations. So we'll have to see how that is going to play out as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that also, like, I mean, the past uh, couple of months have also shown that uh, and regulations uh, in this industry is also like crucial and, and inevitable in the end. Um, but I, I, I do think that probably like the, the regulations will kind of be um, lacking behind a little bit, yeah, how fast the industry is moving and the newest technology popping up left and right. I think that when uh, the regulation comes into effect, which will be July 2024, if it uh, passes the second vote, um, I think then we will be also there for, for probably for us quite a surprise for, for some of the laws that have been decided there. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at uh, EU piece of legislation, what you'll notice the pattern is that many of them have a number after it. That's the number of the draft. 
So, for example, the anti-money laundering directive, which is also being discussed sometimes in concert with MICA, I think is they're moving towards AMLD 5 or 6. I actually forgot the draft that they're working on at the moment. So this has gone through many, many revisions. And so absolutely, MICA 2, MICA 3, um, one of the uh, MICA blog series that I, I, I that I wrote, it deals with several of the things which remain question marks like uh, algorithmic uh, stable coins, the role of things like NFTs. In some situations, NFTs are very clearly considered capital assets. In other areas, it's not really clear how they're covered. So there's still lots and lots of work to be done. But it's nice to see that the EU is willing to some extent to put rules down, let the market do stuff, and then come back to this in a year, two years and say, okay, what have we learned? Yeah, exactly. I think one of the, the 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 most asked questions in in our community um, of the of the people that are following us is uh, have you have you read about the, the micro regulations? Are we safe? Is our if our is our project safe? Like how much do you think will will Mica um, impact Dust Network in that regard? Yeah. Okay. So we'll answer the easy early question. Yes, Dusk is safe. Um, so most. Um, things that have been most cryptographic assets that have been issued prior to the passing of MICA or will already be grandfathered into the legislation. So there's no issue there. But then on top of that, everything that we're building, we've been building it with regulations like MICA, but also maybe more importantly, MIFID, which, which governs financial instruments, MIFID II. So we've been building the technology stack based on these regulations, assuming that they would come into place anyway. So we're very well positioned. So from a legal perspective, absolutely no issues. That's fine. Let's talk about what it looks like from a business perspective. Well, we're trying to build a effectively an operating system for a fully decentralized financial network. And no system like this, no financial system can exist without big entities being involved. Uh, these entities, their funds, brokers, exchanges, etc., they can bring liquidity into the system. They can allow assets to be created or offer assets themselves to Dusk's uh, individual users. Now, as mentioned before, these organizations have been a little bit cautious, really risk averse about getting involved in this area. And understandably so. These are highly regu regulated areas. Anything to do with finance is extremely heavily regulated and they have to be risk averse. They have to avoid anything that's even slightly troubling. Um, but with clear regulations in place, they can finally start playing around with this stuff, which allows them to enter the very space that we're building this infrastructure for. So I'm actually, yeah, very, very happy to see this regulation come in because it means that people can actually just start using this technology without having to worry about uh, consequences further down the road and get involved in it in the way that we want them to. Exactly. So it's uh, very good news, not only for the token holders, but also for all businesses uh, that we uh, hopefully will work together in, in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. So we have... We, we have two sides of the equation here, at least, as you say, we've got individuals and then institutions. And, you know, it seems to me that both individual institutions are very happy to work with each other. Both are very interested in the possibility of what kinds of products and suites of products can be created. But everybody's just a little bit cautious about, you know, where we stand legally speaking. You take that barrier away and we can unleash proper market dynamism in the DeFi space. So that's great to hear. So there's a, a bright future ahead for everyone, um, not only for the space, uh, but also for Dusk Network. 
I don't want to make this update too long. I think we've talked a lot about Micah today, but also in the past. I just wanted to make a quick update on, on what happened on the 20th of, of April and also a little bit the, the road ahead, what is lying ahead of us. Uh, last question, is there anything that you want to give people on the way about Micah um, or is there any place that they can learn more about uh, Micah, Misfit2 or any other regulatory questions that they might have? Well, um, absolutely as we mentioned you know, earlier about the whole possibility of MICA 2, MICA 3, MICA 4, this will be the interesting area to see not only how it's implemented, but how it then feeds back into itself. The future drafts will be able to see EU institutions, EU individuals talking and, 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 and say, making comments, which can be interpreted as maybe this is going to help to form new structures in the future. So to know more about that, I'd say follow follow Dusk, obviously, on, on Twitter would be a great place to find out because you're keeping on top of the legislation. And for an understanding of where it stands right now and what it's going to do, especially things like how it will impact you, how it will impact institutions, then I would recommend people check out the blog series, which is on, on, on Dusk's website. Exactly. And we'll also link the blog series in the show notes so you can conveniently click on the link and start uh, reading and learning more about uh, micro-regulations and about everything that we are doing with micro-regulations in on-chain. So thank you so much for your insights, Ryan. It was really helpful and valuable, I think, not only for me, but also for all the listeners out there. Today, we talked about the latest update on the micro-regulation and the potential impact on the blockchain industry in the EU. My name is Marcus, and this was the Internet of Assets podcast, a podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. Thanks for listening. 